What you are about to listen to is a work of imagination, but not fantasy, set in the year 2050. Time to get up. I'll feel better once I have my seaweed shake. I'm going to have to hustle to make it to the Senate by 3 a.m. That's urban planner Bailey Motoni. She's allowing us to tap into her digital diary. Today, Bailey is going to provide us a window into what it's like to live in a world-class city that has made massive strides towards addressing the climate crisis, Nairobi, Kenya. I'm your host, Mutinta Banda, and you're listening to Climate Vision 2050. to the climate crisis, yet in the 2030s have been disproportionately affected by it. At Eco35, Nairobian startups compete for seed funding. In 2040, the Kenyan Ministry of Energy achieved a goal of increasing energy generation capacity by 4,000%. Cities have faced massive challenges in recent decades. Climate change has accelerated rural to urban migration and strained municipal resources. In this episode, we'll be exploring how Nairobi has addressed these challenges through sustainable housing, transportation, and agricultural initiatives, while reducing poverty and taking advantage of abundant renewable energy resources. Uh, I'm not looking forward to going out there in the rain, but with the drought this year, we desperately need the water. Too much all at once, though, and flash floods could cause trouble. A big part of what attracted me to this apartment was the view. Westlands is a mix of modern and older buildings. I'm originally from Imbu, a county about 100 kilometers northeast of here. My family's maize farm was there until we shut down five years ago. The droughts were so bad that family and I risked starvation. I moved here in 2048 to study urban planning at the University of Nairobi. This place is about 60 square meters. Today is the second week of my new job at Nairobi Tactical. We're doing an intervention today. I'm pretty nervous. I invited a girl. Mercy. I've been chatting with Lele and this is the first time we'll meet in person. Bailey Motoni is an urban planner at nonprofit Nairobi Tactical. The organization applies the principles of tactical urbanism to address issues around livability, community, and climate change adaptation in Nairobi. Bailey's boss, John Kidenda, an expert in cities, renewables, climate change, and sustainability, founded the startup in 2045. The why for the organization is 
is really creating space for experimentation and uh, rapid iteration. That's the best way to really help city planners achieve their goals of improving the city. So we're we're a think tank. We put out policy briefs, but we also do stuff out in the city that we think can unlock people's thoughts or imaginations around what is possible for various neighborhoods in the city. Nairobi Tactical has staged nearly 30 interventions. They've created pop-up traffic calming zones, DIY community spaces, and improvised pedestrian and bike lanes throughout Nairobi. Many interventions have been adopted permanently by the city. But what John's got up his sleeve for today is the riskiest the organization has undertaken yet. I think we're going to try and transform the entire area around the government buildings in Nairobi into a no driving zone by painting in park areas and installing flower pots and foldable chairs overnight and then inviting members of the public to sit and play board games and drink tea. And we'll see if the city takes us up on on making that change permanent. The city has given license for some organizations to propose interventions to help unlock new ideas in urban planning. Nairobi Tactical is one of a few nonprofits that has been permitted to hack the city. Today's intervention is one of the most daring to date, right in front of Nairobi's government buildings. Kenya recently elected its 10th president, Njoki Matai, who has made bold commitments to improving the city's infrastructure and climate change resilience. The city has experienced extreme hot and cold seasons, coupled with droughts and significant flash flooding. And this was all compounding the very real challenges that the city already had that are typical to a fast-growing city in the developing world. So lack of adequate housing, lack of of sufficient and affordable energy for urban industries, an inadequate, uh, woefully inadequate transportation infrastructure, poor access to clean water. Across each of these areas that I've mentioned, we've implemented what I think are world-class solutions that have helped the city transition into the city that it is right now, a city that in a lot of ways lives up to its nickname, which is the green city in the sun. Nairobi's nickname refers to its lush green spaces, warm sunny climate, and recently, how well the city has adapted to climate challenges. You can take a stroll through Uhuru or City Park, or walk along the Nairobi River. Two dense rainforests, Ngong and Kurura, lie within the city boundaries, and Nairobi National Park has rhinos, leopards, giraffes, and many other species of animals. Katie Hill is a leader in climate and energy technology and an expert partner with BCG, who has called Nairobi home for the past five years. Building the Kenya of today was a massive effort, as the city had had a disproportionately difficult journey compared to many other cities around the globe. You know, a few decades ago, the narrative for Kenya and for much of the African continent was one of, well, the region has actually contributed the least 
by pretty dramatic numbers to global carbon emissions and the climate crisis. Um, only you know three percent of global emissions coming from Africa um, around 2020, and most of that was you know South Africa and a few other countries. And yet the continent was was standing to be the most impacted by climate by the climate crisis, uh, warming at one and a half times global averages. Um, so there was a real call to action, I think, around the world to acknowledge and, and work against that great injustice. Flooding in Kenya's capital displaced thousands from their homes in 2032. In 2042, 10 more African startups converting waste to energy have entered this competitive marketplace. Kenya's 10th president, Njoki Matai, announced massive upgrades to electric vehicle charging infrastructure are expected in 2046. Back at Bailey's apartment in Westlands, she continues to rush to get out the door in the early hours of the morning. This place was built a decade ago. These walls are garbage. <laughs> if you could see the awful pink and green colors, you'd think I was referring to that, but I assure you I am not. All of the walls and main structure are built from 100% plastic waste. Much of it pulled directly out of the Nairobi River during the cleanup project in 2034. We were able to solve one problem, the housing crisis, with another, the pollution of our city. Above us are solar cell panels that tap into Nairobi's sunny skies to provide energy. Our rainwater collector provides us with water to drink and clean. It will be full after this morning. This complex has a cafe, school, gym, market, playground, and library. Many of my neighbors have come from farming families like me. Others have come from Kibera and Matari, former slums that are shrinking as more low and mixed income housing projects such as this one are built. There are also expats here who have come to take advantage of Nairobi's green tech and innovation boom. How we get our silicone savannah nickname. <laughs> it isn't always easy to integrate all of the newcomers like myself with the longtime residents of the city. Sometimes I still feel like an outsider. But that's part of the whole reason I wanted to get into urban planning in the first place. To help build a city where everyone feels welcome. Cities like Nairobi in low- and middle-income countries had different housing challenges than cities in affluent ones. You know, quite frankly, 30 years ago, we didn't have a lot of centralized infrastructure when it comes to electricity, water, sewage, transport. While that had lots of issues around kind of equity and quality of life, it also, you know, created the opportunity to build the most cutting edge solutions from scratch rather than have to deal with legacy infrastructure and try to kind of transform. And so, you know, in many ways, what you've seen in from Nairobi and to Lagos, Abidjan, is much more distributed models rather than centralized infrastructure for delivering, you know, basic services. Many older big cities were centralized for economies of scale and standardization. These cities are built around single or several large facilities that house entire operations in one area, such as a large power plant or waste management facility. 
Newer cutting-edge cities like Nairobi build resiliency through creating smaller facilities, such as the solar panels and rainwater harvesting in Bailey's complex. Water availability has been a persistent issue in Nairobi. Nairobi was actually built on a swamp. And so if you build a city on a swamp and you don't pay very keen attention to, to drainage and then couple that with really erratic weather patterns and extreme rainfall followed by drought, then you have huge water problems. One of the fringe benefits of revitalizing and expanding the green space in Nairobi has been improving the water drainage system in the city, which used to create quite devastating floods, especially in the in the low-income parts of the city, which were not accidentally also located in some of the lower-lying areas of the city. Along with accommodating residents moving to Nairobi from elsewhere, a huge priority has been rehousing the city's poorest residents. As a starting point, Nairobi already had more than half of its citizens living in informal settlements and, you know, what's otherwise considered slums. And so when you take that as a starting point and then you go from a city of, of 5 million to 20 million, really the biggest challenge and one that we are definitely still grappling with is how do you create enough housing stock with kind of dignified accommodations to triple, quadruple the urban population while needing to also help the long-time residents to have a better quality of life. We've seen accommodation become denser as Nairobi earmarked land exclusively for the building of mixed and low-income housing. The actual building materials used are sustainable as startups figured out creative ways to convert the city's waste into building materials. You know, we've had a number of alternative building materials being prototyped. In early days, it all felt a little gimmicky using kind of plastic waste to create bricks and other composite building materials. But, you know, once that is prototyped enough and technologies are refined, you could actually get into kind of mass production of, you know, sustainable building materials. Another priority has been transportation. How to move all these people around the city sustainably and efficiently. Outside her apartment building, Bailey gets ready to start her morning commute. Normally, I'm in a co-working space a six-minute walk from here. But today, I've got to get to Parliament Road in the CBD, Central Business District. This here is Kasi, the Swahili word for speed. She's a fully electric motorbike. Bailey starts up Cassie and rides down the street towards the CBD. Uh -oh. Why are you slowing down, Cassie? Uh, the indicator light isn't shining on the battery. I don't... It must be malfunctioning. I'm going to have to take it in for service. I'll park Cassie here on the street and catch the bus. I, mm, there's a stop nearby. Oh, but I'm going to have to hurry to make it on time. Nothing I can do now but run. Run. 
Nairobi used to have a huge pollution problem, mostly caused by fossil fuels, as John Kidenda explains. Another interesting thing that happened in the 2010s was that Kenya was simultaneously selected as, I think, one of, if not the country with the, the best air quality in the world, while at the same time having Nairobi as a city with some of the worst air quality in the world. And, you know, thankfully, there's been a lot of equalization between the air quality out in the country in Kenya and the air quality in the city, primarily driven by the electrification of transportation, which was a major source of pollutants. The electrification of buses and four-wheeler transport was one piece of the puzzle. But arguably an even bigger one for Nairobi was the rise of the electric motorcycle industry. Some of the first um, electric motorcycle companies in Africa and in a lot of ways across the world uh, were based in Nairobi. The city has really doubled down on e-scooters and e-bikes as a, as a mode of transportation that has really slotted into the niche that was being um, served by what we call border borders, which are urban mo- motorcycles that are used for both uh, commercial transportation of goods as well as people. So all of those bikes are now electric and are available to rent just like you would rent an Uber or, or a Lyft. Nairobi also needed better public transportation and walking options if it wanted to improve congestion. Decades ago, the traffic was so bad in Nairobi that you could sometimes be stranded in your car for up to five hours or even overnight. The city's bus rapid transit system helped streamline bus routes and decrease overall commuting time. But there was more to do. City planners also needed to increase walkability. The other policy that the city put in place and adopted from Paris actually uh, was this concept of building a 15-minute city that seeks to reorient um, city development resources away um, from a focus on transportation and getting people from where they live to wherever else in the city they work or consume health services or go to school and towards um, proximity and access. Bailey arrives in front of the gated entrance of the large administrative buildings on Parliament Road. 50 or so people from Nairobi Tactical are already there redirecting traffic, painting in park areas and setting up folding chairs. The sun's starting to rise and we're almost finished setting up here. Some are not in favor of Nairobi Tactical. Our intervention is causing traffic bottlenecks. It will all be worth it, though, if I change... <gasps> oh, no. It can't be. Oh, no, 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 no. It's Njoki Matai, the 10th president of Kenya, along with her security detail. She's walking over to John. We're screwed. My career is over. My life is over. Wait. What? They're shaking hands? Unjoki Matai is sitting down at one of the tables we've set up. The security team is helping us to redirect traffic. President Matai must think our new traffic zone is a good idea. Yeah! 
Maybe they'll even decide to make this a permanent public space. Right in front of all of these government buildings. That would be incredible. Ah, <sighs> That practically gave me a heart attack. Now, if that isn't the thing that kills me today, it might be getting stood up by Mercy. Mm, I haven't spotted her yet. But then again, it's hard to tell what someone looks like from their hologram. Are you here, Mercy? Mercy is a software developer at the electric motorbike company that Cassie is from. I'm wearing a red shirt. Hmm. I think I see her next to that blue flower pot. <laughs> she's cute. <laughs> oh, oh, she's waving me over. <sighs> Just act natural. In recent decades, Nairobi has become an attractive location for tech and green manufacturing startups. Nairobi's ample access to renewable energy helped spark this boom, as John Kidenda explains. On the energy front, uh, Kenya, even as far back as 2020, was a global leader in the geothermal energy space. Couple that with the hydropower, that sort of formed the base power infrastructure of the city going back quite a ways. And then in the 2010s, there was a, a lot of deployment of wind farms and, and solar farms. So even as far back as 2020, Kenya already got uh, upwards of 80% of its power from renewable sources. In 2050, that's 100%. Nairobi acquired the nickname Silicon Savannah. So you have a global community of technologists, software engineers, product designers, product managers who are developing businesses that kind of serve Kenyan and broader kind of pan-African consumers. So, you know, that's, that's a big part of the employment base at this point. Back at Parliament, Bailey and the others at Nairobi Tactical gather up the tables, chairs, and games they used for the intervention. Traffic resumes on Parliament Road, and Bailey catches the bus rapid transit system to make her way back to Westlands. The intervention was a success, but I totally blew it with mercy. No way! She wants to meet up at Scaviosa Cafe in Upper Hill tonight. I'll pick Cassie up and then go straight to bed. Maybe Mercy can offer some advice on how to fix Cassie's battery. The fabric of today's cities has changed dramatically as urbanization and climate challenges collide. Along the way, we've learned important lessons about how to adapt. More atmospheric water generators are being installed in 2027 to regions most deprived of clean drinking water. Nairobi has been named the number one place for green manufacturing opportunities in 2036. 
30 new co-working spaces are opening in Nairobi next year in 2042 to accommodate African techpreneurs looking to set up shop close to home. Nairobi Tactical's John Kidenda shares three transformative steps that Nairobi has taken to make it the city it is today. I think one was the densification and mixed-income, mixed-use housing, massively expanding access to affordable housing for Nairobi's residents. Two is adopting and really committing to the 15-minute city concept and reorienting city resources away from building more and larger highways towards making it less necessary for people to cross the city. And then third, I think, was a real focus on creating quality public spaces. And that's everything from the cleaning up of the, of the river and the revitalization of the, of the parks. I think those three things have really had a huge impact on the quality of life of the city and um, are really responsible for the character of the city as it, as it stands today. They say our challenges only make us stronger. In Nairobi's case, the strength of the city shines on. The heart of this vibrant city is shaped by the everyday actions of its people. Here's BCG's Katie Hill on what makes the residents of the city so special. The personality, the determination of Nairobi residents, Nairobians, and just the ingenuity of Nairobians to not wait for solutions to be handed them, but to build their own future. And I'm just struck time and again by just the hustle and creativity and real grit of so many people I meet in this city. And I think it's actually that spirit that has led to so many other things. You've been listening to Climate Vision 2050, a podcast from BCG that explores how the world radically reduced carbon emissions and saved itself from climate catastrophe. Our narrator, Mutinda Banda, is played by Atibo Onan. Nairobi tactical urban planner, Bailey Mathoni, is played by J.D. Mann. You heard from our experts, John Kadenda, Chief of Utility Operations at PowerGen Renewable Energy, imagining himself as the founder of the Nairobi Tactical Startup. And Katie Hill is an expert leader in climate and energy technology and a BCG partner. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Lower Street, a full-service podcast production agency that creates amazing shows for brands that want great, not good. BCG is a global consulting firm committed to climate and sustainability action. We understand there are many possible futures and we hope you enjoy our journey through some of them in this series. To learn more about our work on climate and sustainability, head to bcg.com climate.